0: While I just get myself set up, and why don't you chat to the person around you, where are you on a scale of like being ready for Christmas? Zero is like you don't even realise it's December yet. Um, ten is like joy to the world on repeat already. Where are you on that scale? <laughs> All right, who's, um, who's down this end kind of in Christmas denial region? A few Christmas. Who's just like, bring it on? Who's right there? I think I'm right there. I think I've had like four Christmas events already and the carols are going um, so good. Well, Christmas is coming, isn't it? Whether we're ready for it or not. And you could be one of those people who's kind of feeling a growing sense of joy and anticipation. Or maybe for you it's more like a looming dread that's just hanging over you. Whether Christmas for you is the most wonderful time of the year or whether you're bracing for the worst, Christmas is coming. Um, and everywhere we look, we're being told how to get ready. So there are all the ads. Curtis Stone on the Coles ads is telling us the food we need to prepare an impossibly beautiful Christmas lunch. And um, Bunnings, as they do just about at every point during the year, they say now is the time to give your attention to some of those DIY projects around the house. And every shop and retailer and how's this for just like such good timing? Like they are selling the one thing that will make us just joyfully, blissfully happy at Christmas time. So good. Um, and it's not just the advertisements, is it? Because I've noticed a growing array of Advent calendars that are helping us to get into the Christmas spirit. So you could have the classic Cadbury chocolate one, you could be a bit more fancy and have a lint Advent calendar. Um, I reckon you should go ask Mo about Mr. Moosey um, (laughs) over morning tea. That's a good one. Um, But even T2 has gotten in on the action. They've got a tea calendar, a new tea for every day of December. I'm genuinely tempted, to be honest, by the craft beer advent calendar, although I don't think that there would be really anyone interested in the 24 Days of Wellness Essential Oils (laughs) advent calendar which seems to stretch the meaning of essential beyond breaking point. (laughs) But all of these Advent calendars and advertisements are all giving us the same message. And really, the power of Christmas is in possessions, so we need more. The magic of Christmas is in materialism. What makes Christmas special is the spending. The key to Christmas is consumption. That's the message that we hear. And this kind of Christmas, even we can kind of think this way at church, it's just filled with kind of ceaseless activity and constant doing events and this and that and the other. And so by Christmas Day, we're all completely exhausted and we just crash in a heap and we're glad that it's finished. Does that sound at all familiar to you? What we're hoping over the next few weeks on Sundays at St. Mark's is for church to be a place of refuge and refreshment in the midst of all the busyness and an opportunity to reflect upon the real Christmas that's revealed to us in the Bible. Church, I hope, over the next few weeks should feel like a bit of a parallel universe where Christmas is different to the Christmas that we're told to prepare for out in the world. Because what we need to remember more than anything else is that the heart of Christmas is not about consuming stuff, but by receiving. It's not about our busyness. It's about the fact that God himself has burst into the middle of human history. It's not about our striving to do more. It's about God stooping to love us. It's not even about what we have to do for God. It's not about us making the most of the opportunity so that more people can hear about Jesus. No, even that, it's all about what God has done for us. And we want to welcome people into our joy. So each week, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the story of that first Christmas and some of the characters who encountered Jesus when he was born. Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph. We're going to see how God broke in upon their lives and how they responded. And as we do, we'll see through their stories that Christmas is not defined by our own frantic activity, but by faith, hope, and love. And so it's fitting for us to start with Mary because if the heart of Christmas is about what God does for us, and what God does in us, then our primary response to the Christmas message is to respond in faith, simply to believe what God has promised to do through Jesus and receive all the blessings that he offers to us in him. The world around us all year round is constantly pressing upon us the question, what do I need to do? What is next? And that at Christmas just gets turned up to 11. But Mary gives us a glimpse of another possible way of living, not just at Christmas, but all year round. With Mary, we can turn our attention away from worrying, well, what do I need to do? What's next on my list? And we can simply say in faith, God, let it be to me according to your word. And if that sounds like it would be a miracle, God's all up for miracles because in this story we say three miracles in the story of Mary. There's the miracle of the virgin birth, the miracle of the incarnation, and the miracle of Mary's faith. So let's pick it up. Chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. We actually did this story in Super Club this week. Super Club is a lunchtime group that runs down at the school. We got a bunch of year four kids and one year six boy who come along. And their question, understandably, was, Well, what's a virgin? And you should have seen Sue Sheldon's face at that point. I think she was very worried what I would say. I think I did actually a very good job of explaining it in year four appropriate terms. But even as I explained that Mary was going to have a baby through God's power, not in the ordinary way, there was a bit of a chuckle. (laughs) Because even kids in year four have some idea of where babies come from. You know, when a mummy and a daddy love each other very much and so on. But here in Mary's story, at this point, there is no daddy. There is only the angel and his promise. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. This is the miracle of the virgin birth. It's the most obvious part of Mary's story. For many, it's the most absurd part of Mary's story. I mean, who could believe anything like this in this day and age? But we must see in this passage that even Mary is struck by the strangeness of what the angel says. So in verse 34, she asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Sometimes sceptics of christianity will speak about something like the virgin birth as if this kind of thing happened all the time back in the day you know you could put any sort of superstitious nonsense before the uneducated masses and they would swallow it whole but mary knows just as well as we do where babies come from she knows that virgins don't conceive and give birth to children any more than dead people rise from the dead Mary knew the basics of biology, but she also seems to have a heart that is open to believing what the angel is saying to her. And here already we're getting an insight into the nature of true faith because Mary doesn't just blindly accept what the angel says, neither does she just straight out dismiss it. What Mary is doing in her question is wrestling with the gap that exists between her present reality and what the angel has promised her. So she asks, how will this be? How will this be? That suggests an openness to what the angel is saying. Since I'm a virgin, well, that displays Mary's honest search for the truth. This is a question of faith seeking understanding. How is this promise from God going to work out in her life? And the angel's answer helps her and us to understand what God is doing. The angel answered in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary asked, how will this be? And the answer is through the creative power of God himself. The virgin birth is an act of the triune God. God the Father sending forth his spirit in order that God the Son would be conceived in Mary's womb. It's an act of new creation by the very power of God. And this act of new creation echoes the original creation of the whole universe itself. So listen to these verses from the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis and see if you can notice some kind of similarities with what the angel says to Mary. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters in Genesis 1 and now that same Spirit overshadows Mary's womb. God brought life, He brought everything into being, into that formless emptiness and now He will do the same in the emptiness of Mary's virginity. And just as God spoke His Word into the world, now He is sending His Word in the person of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is strange and unusual. It is a miracle. It's an interruption into the normal unfolding of events in this world. And that is precisely because the God of the universe is doing a new thing. This is a new creation, a new beginning in the middle of human history. And this new beginning, this act of new creation is nothing less than the coming of God himself into the world. This is the creator of everything becoming a part of his creation. See, the angel makes it very clear to Mary that her son will be no ordinary child. In fact, the angel makes it clear that Mary's son will not even just be an extraordinary man. Listen to verses 31 to 33. The angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, And will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then in verse 35, the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. And so the miracle of the virgin birth pales in comparison to this second miracle of what the... what theologians call the incarnation. Now, sometimes technical theological terms sound lofty and grand and abstract, but actually the scandal of the incarnation is contained in the very word itself. If you ever did any Latin in school, you would know that the word incarnation comes from the Latin word carne. And if you didn't do Latin at school, that's okay. You might have ordered a carne asada before, at a Mexican restaurant, and that's what the word carne means. It means meat. It means flesh. And so at Christmas, in the incarnation of Jesus, we declare that God became flesh. God became a piece of human meat. He took on a real human body in all its weakness and frailty and indignity, and he did that without any diminishing of his godness incredible and this real human life that jesus lived began where all human life begins at conception god became an embryo he took on human life at its smallest weakest and most vulnerable form jesus in mary's womb was entirely dependent upon his mother mary for everything You know how sometimes people will explain the development of their unborn child in terms of the relative sizes of fruit? Well, think about this. The Son of God and Saviour of the world was once the size of a sweet pea. There was a time when Christ was as small as a cucumber. The Messiah was once the size of a melon. It's just mind-blowing. And then when he was born, he would have wriggled and squirmed and cried just like any other baby. The Lord of the universe needed to be fed and taught and changed just like any other child. It is a truth by stunning and staggering. By some incomprehensible mystery, God became a real human being, fully God and fully man. He came down from heaven for us and for our salvation. About 1,500 years ago, one of the bishops in the early church called Augustine, he talked about this coming of Jesus and the truth of the incarnation. Weirdly, he didn't use fruit analogies. um, He used something much more beautiful. He said this, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread of life might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on the wood of the cross, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Christmas is the beginning of Christ's descent all the way to the cross. The incarnation is the first step on a long road down. It's the beginning of one sweeping movement of divine stooping, serving and saving love. As we declare in the Apostles' Creed, we say Jesus was conceived, born, then he suffered, was crucified, dead, buried, he descended into hell. That's the miracle of the incarnation. And in this miracle, we see both the greatness of God's love and the greatness of our own need. What else but love could compel the God of the universe to send his son into the world as a human being? That he would become not only so small and so weak and so vulnerable, but that he would suffer so much in order to save us. See, it's love, isn't it, that causes a parent to stoop down and pick up their hurting child to comfort them. And it's love that will cause you to come alongside a friend and not just give them advice, but be with them in the midst of their suffering. And it's in love that God embraces humanity. He embraces humanity by becoming one of us. God comes down to us to be with us, to comfort us and to save us because he loves us. And it is nothing less than the coming of Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man. Nothing less than that could save us. Our need is that great. The human predicament is so deep and the consequences of our sin is so far reaching that we needed God himself to come down, to take on human flesh, and not only that, but to take the judgment of God upon himself that we all deserve. Christmas tells us that there is no amount of human effort or human enterprise that can deliver us from our plight. We can't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We can't climb up out of the pit by our own efforts. And so God himself came down in order to carry us out and to carry us home. Which then leads us to the third miracle. And this third miracle is by no means the least of the three. Don't you think it's remarkable that Mary actually believed all of this? Mary's response to the angel's message in verse 38 is amazing. And it's fitting that it brings this whole scene to a close. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's not only that Mary believes that she will have a child, though she is a virgin. It's not only that she believes that the son of God will be this son that she's about to have. It's also, I think, the fact that Mary believes that God has chosen her for this task rather than some other virgin It's so personal. I am the Lord's servant, Mary says. May your word to me be fulfilled. By faith, Mary receives God's promise as a promise for her. Mary receives God's word as a word for her. Mary receives God's favor and grace as favor and grace given to her. I think that's often the hardest part for us, isn't it? Martin Luther put it like this. He said, this is for us the hardest part, not so much to believe that Jesus is the son of the virgin and God himself, as to believe that this son of God is ours. And he really is ours. He's yours. Do you know that? Christmas is not only good news for the world in a general sense, it is that, but it is also good news deeply personal good news for each and every one of us. Christ came down from heaven for you and for your salvation. Yes, Mary had a very unique relationship with Jesus. It's only Mary who bore the Son of God in her womb. And yet, it gives us a picture of what Jesus wants for all of us. He came down as a human being so that he would be united with all of us through faith. He wants to pour out his life and power into each of our lives. That just like Mary's life was set on an entirely new trajectory, that our lives too would be completely transformed as we come to know Jesus Christ. That we would receive Jesus into our own hearts. That we would receive his promises as promises given to each of us. That we would receive God's word as a word for us. That we would dare to believe that Jesus is our God and our Saviour. Earlier in our service, we sang a version of the Apostles' Creed. It's one of the earliest statements of Christian belief. And it is interesting that apart from Jesus, there are only two humans who are mentioned by name. One of them is Pilate, the Roman governor, at the end of Jesus' life. And then there's Mary, who we've considered this morning who is present from the very beginning and at every step in Jesus' life. And as we finish, it's, we're just going to notice how these two people represent the fundamental responses that we can make to Jesus, both at Christmas and in all of our lives. Because for both of them, Jesus brought considerable inconvenience into their lives. I mean, just think of how the scandalous news of Mary's pregnancy would have spread throughout her little town. I mean, she's pregnant, have you heard? And she's not even married to Joseph yet. And I can't imagine that Mary saying, oh, well, there was an angel and the Holy Spirit and it's the coming Messiah. I don't think that would have quieted the chatter. And Jesus was a nuisance for Pilate as well. He inflamed political tension. He was a threat to Pilate's power. He aroused controversy and so he was a threat to peace. Pilate had some sense that Jesus was innocent. He had some kind of awe at the way that Jesus responded to every threat and accusation, but he was a problem. And so for both Mary and Pilate, the intrusion of Jesus upon their life was no easy thing. But their responses were worlds apart. We've already seen this morning, haven't we, Mary's humble and receptive faith the way she trusted God's word and received Jesus into her life in the most intimate way imaginable. But Pilate was very different. The crowds were yelling and the tensions were rising and after a while he just gave in and so wanting to satisfy the crowd, he released another prisoner. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. See, Pilate had some sense of who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was innocent And yet the fear of the crowds and his own desire for power caused Pilate to hand Jesus over. Pilate was just too busy. He had governing to do. He had no time for Jesus. Mary responded with faith. Pilate was ruled by his fears. Mary was humble before God, but Pilate was ruled by his own desire for power. Mary was quick to accept the Lord's word. Pilate killed the Lord in his cowardice. See, it's so easy, isn't it, at this time of the year, just to be consumed by what we need to do, our own agendas, what sits at the top of our list. But Mary shows us a different way of responding to Christmas and to all of life. And Pilate is a warning for us to heed this Christmas, will you welcome Jesus gladly into your life and all of the interruption that that will bring, or will you kind of hold him at arm's length, just getting on with what you need to do? Will you take hold of the blessings that God wants to give you in Christ, or will you just cling on to what you've got? Will you trust his word of salvation, or will you just kind of stand aloof observing from afar, thinking that maybe this doesn't really apply to you? Will you be caught up in all that you need to do or will you, like Mary, open yourself up to receive everything that God wants to give you, which, by the way, is everything? This Christmas, God once again speaks his promises to each and every one of us with fresh power wherever we are in this present moment of our lives. And the message of Christmas is that the Lord is with us, that we are highly favoured, that Jesus is our saviour and our king, that in Jesus the lowly are lifted up, the humble are exalted, and the hungry are filled with every good thing. And so the response that each of us need to make is the bold Mary-like faith that leads us to say with her, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Amen.